0: It's an outfielder heavy episode as we discuss our outfielder roundtable and also we'll break down the contenders for the spots in the Cardinals, A's, and Padres outfields. Like Duff and Taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have That's not me. had the uh, three cold brews yet. He got ahead of me on uh, my, my caffeine question, so glad, glad to know that there's been some uh, caffeination in your life. I'm just glad three, I am not at the dentist. Two.
1: Fantasy in 15 on the Athletic Podcast Network.
0: Welcome to Fantasy Baseball on 15 for Tuesday, February 25th. Al Melker here with Michael Beller returning to the show
1: after a little more than a week away. Great to have you back, Michael. Are you ready to talk talk about some outfielders? I cannot wait to talk about some outfielders. I uh, wrote my entries for the outfielder roundtable uh, 30,000 feet above the, I guess above the U.S. I think at that time I was in between Cabo and uh, our connecting flight in Denver. So uh, that shows you how dedicated I am to this outfield position. I'm very happy that that's what we've got on tap for this episode. That is,
0: that, I, I, you know, that really says something. If you're willing to do that for the outfield roundtable, <laughs> Maybe not for the second base, who knows. But, yeah, we do have on The Athletic uh, our outfield roundtable, the latest in the roundtable series. As always, Brandon Funston doing an outstanding job of uh, putting that all together, asking us really interesting questions to respond to. And I want to focus in on one part of it in particular because the results were kind of interesting. And, of course, you never know how these things are going to come together. But one of the questions that uh, Brandon asked all of us to respond to was if we could think of one particular outfielder who we thought would have out of nowhere success, you know, basically not relevant outside of pretty deep leagues, their current ADP, you know, pretty low, and yet we could see them having an impact uh, possibly in, in 12 teamers. And a lot of the respondents, I'd say maybe four or five Came up with a Cardinals outfielder, but we didn't all come up with the same one. So I know you were not alone in this, but yours was Tyler O'Neill. That was your out of nowhere uh, outfield success story for 2020. Mine was Harrison Bader. Um, now, I also was asked, uh, I think we all were asked uh, to make a bold prediction for a column that's that's upcoming and my bold prediction was that Tyler O'Neal and Lane Thomas would settle into the the outfield corner spots so I'm an O'Neal believer too I just think that Bader maybe has higher ceiling, but uh, why, why did you pick, of all the outfielders you could pick, why did you pick Tyler O'Neal?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, so Funson asked us to go outside the top 75, 80 or so in ADP uh, as it sits right now, and uh, scrolling through that list of the next, you know, about 30 names or so, O'Neal was really the only one who jumped out at me, and it wasn't just a default thing. It was because I think we know the power is for real. I, I have no doubt in that, and when you're looking this late, I like to try to find at least one for sure trait that we can latch on to. And we've got that with Tyler O'Neill. You go back to 2018, 35 homers in between A Memphis and the majors in 415 plate appearances. Last year spent more than a month on this uh, of the season on the IL, various arm injuries. He spent some time down in the minors. He couldn't quite get a rhythm in St. Louis. I think that was true for a lot of guys. They had that crowded outfield last year, just like they do this year, a few different pieces, but still a log jam. And he just never found a rhythm, but you don't hit 35 homers and 415 plate appearances by accident with about half the season in triple a and half the season in the majors, so I think we see that sort of production possibility for O'Neill already coming into the year and with even though it's such a crowded outfield in St. Louis Al it's not like there's anyone who is for sure commanding every day I got to be in the lineup absolutely no doubt about it so I think that O'Neill's. Power ability can make him a guy who breaks through and does ultimately end up commanding a no doubt about it spot in the outfield. That's what got uh, me to him for that question.
0: Yeah, and well, and it makes sense to me. And as far as the bold prediction uh, that I made, that involved him and Lane Thomas, part of what feeds into that, and what I I didn't hear you say this explicitly, but I you know I think it falls into the, the our general argument that you're making is that. I just think I think Matt Carpenter might be pretty much done as a mm-hmm. as an everyday player. And then Tommy Edmond, who's currently profiling uh, for example on roster resource as the starting left fielder, I could see him getting shifted to third base. I could also see Edman getting shifted into utility position, and I'm not at all convinced that Edman is going to hold down a major role this year. We didn't, you know, see him that much the pro- productivity that we did see from Edmond was really above and beyond what I certainly expected based on the minor league number. So I want to see more from Tommy Edmond And I think that both that third base and left field spot could be open. And Dexter Fowler, I think he's another question mark. So I think when you, you know, you're saying nobody's commanding, that's what I hear <laughs> is, you know, about right. those particular players. And the one name that, you know, ne- neither you nor I has mentioned as somebody who's maybe uh, a roadblock to be overcome is Harrison Bader, who. I think like O'Neill didn't get a fair a fair chance last year and uh, was shuttled in and out of that rotation. And I think if he can get the the strikeouts a little bit more under control, just like you know we hope that for O'Neill too, uh, that there's a nice power speed combo there. And I think that the overall profile, what I wrote in the the outfielder profile was, it's sort of Victor Robles light. I don't really see that much separating the two of them, other than maybe 10 steals, 10 or 10 to 15 steals. So you and know, potentially
1: that's, a guaranteed spot in the, in the lineup.
0: Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, that's why I picked Bader, but mm-hmm. I really could have gone with O'Neill just as easily. It's just funny that so many people went right. with a Cardinals outfielder, uh, a former Cardinal outfielder, Stephen Piscotty, of course, now with the uh, Oakland athletics, some news on him that he is dealing with a rib cage in- injury and, There's no timetable in terms of when he's going to start playing in uh, Cactus League games and therefore no timetable in terms of when he begins his regular season play. But it's definitely a question that he might not be ready for opening day, that according to Susan Slusser of the San Francisco Chronicle. So that's another situation, too, in Oakland, where if they're were more playing time available there are a number of candidates there i would love to see get a shot in fact you know so many that they might kind of get in each other's way uh seth brown is one who uh, got some playing time last year dustin fowler who of course had his career derailed by that horrible injury that he suffered when he was still with the yankees but uh, he had a a nice season triple a in in 2019 uh, Greg Deichman, who um, had a really nice campaign in the Arizona Fall League and Buddy Reed recently acquired from the Padres. the last two outfielders are not on the 40man roster, so there's certainly longer shots and neither one has ever played in AAA. But assuming that Piscotti is not opening ready for opening day rather, I guess I'll give you a two part question here, uh, Michael. Uh, and one is, does it matter because <laughs> if somebody's you know gonna miss one or two weeks, I mean then you know potentially it's just a placeholder. Uh, but if it did matter, if you were out a long time or if somebody really made an impression, who do you like the most to emerge as maybe somebody who could grab more playing time than we, we've been expecting?
1: Yeah, so the, the, with the first part, I think ultimately it's probably not going to matter um, as, as we sit here uh, six weeks out, whatever. And I guess, what, no, like four weeks out. Yeah, I'm still yeah. in, uh, so I still got like, it's like my brain paused when I went on vacation, like four weeks out from. Uh, From uh, opening day, I feel like Steven Piscotty will be, it just sounds like the sort of injury that he'll be back from sooner rather than later, where it's not going to make a huge season-long difference. But if I was going to bet on one guy, it would be Dustin Fowler. Uh, It just feels like he's going to be the guy who gets the most realistic shot at, if not securing a long-term job because Piscotty's going to be back, you know, early enough in the season, then at least making himself part of uh, the rotation in Oakland and a team that has always uh, been totally comfortable with rotating guys and having, you know, four spots for for three guys and and figuring out a mix and match and, and how to work that and how to keep guys fresh all season long. You mentioned what he did in the minors with this team last year, 25 homers and 606 plate appearances also swiped, 12 bags with the power speed combo is there. We're talking about a guy who's still just in his age 25 season. So you look up and down at uh, all the guys you mentioned, and it just feels like to me, he's going to be the one who they give the most extended run to while Piscotty is out hoping that even if he's not going to be an everyday player, he can establish himself as a regular in this team getting, you know, anywhere between two and five starts per week.
0: Yeah. And certainly if you're on the higher end of that range, then, you suddenly, you're you're quite relevant, maybe not in 12-team leagues, but in just about anything else, especially if you really produce in that uh, somewhat limited playing time. So, uh, you know, when we talk about crowded outfields, we've been very accustomed to including the Padres in that conversation, and of course, with all the trades that they've made uh, this offseason, particularly with the Tampa Bay Rays— <laughs> They've cleared a little bit of room there, and maybe it's Franchi Cordero time. And I'm bringing up that outfield situation in San Diego, and specifically Franchi Cordero, because I saw a really kind of provocative quote uh, in the San Diego, U- San Diego Union Tribune from Fernando Tatis Jr., who said, uh, given the chance, Franchi Cordero is going to outplay me. Well, I, I'm not. I'm. I love Franchi Cordero. I hope he gets a shot. I hope he stays healthy. I do not believe that for one second. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, uh, what are your thoughts on Franchi Cordero in terms of an opportunity to
1: win the starting role and what that creates in terms of fantasy value? Hey, first of all, you gotta love uh, a young guy like Tatis stepping right into a leadership role, right? I mean, this guy's been, it's like he's been here since his dad was a major leaguer. He just knows when to build up his teammates, who to build up. You gotta absolutely love that from Fernando Tatis. I really like this team. I'm excited to watch this team this season. I do think that Franchi Cordero uh, is gonna be worth a long look for this team and someone who, if I had to bet right now, Al, I would bet on him ultimately winning an everyday job uh, for the Padres because of uh, a couple of things. Number one, the upside is obvious. The uh, the fact that he's still so young, so early on in his career, I think that they still want to make sure that they are getting the full picture of him before they decide this is a fourth outfielder, this is a starter, this is someone who we can maybe move to uh, if we're contending at the deadline. You know, I think they want to get a good full look at him over the first few months of the season. I think it would be wise for a number of reasons. Uh, you compare uh, him with the other guys on the roster, the other guys who he's going to be competing for an everyday spot with. It feels like there's at least a few guys who are known commodities. The Padres know exactly what they're going to be. Will Myers, obviously, uh, is someone who who comes to mind there. Uh, Juan Ligaris as well. I mean, we know what those guys are. So I think the, the Padres owe it to themselves to see exactly what they have in Franchi Cordero. And maybe this is the year where they do make that decision on him, but You give a guy like this in a total no-pressure situation now with Tatis, with Manny Machado, with Tommy Pham at the top of the order, all this talent, uh, a team that feels like it's on the rise, give him a a spot at the bottom of the order without any pressure on him that he maybe had earlier in his career. And I think a lot of things could fall into place for him. Uh, Not quite Fernando Tatis' place, but certainly (laughs) place enough that he is on my radar going into pretty much every fantasy uh, draft and auction that I have this winter. Yeah, well, that's not what Fernando Tatis Jr. says. uh, (laughs) Hey, Fernando Tatis Jr. knows a hell of a lot more about grading (laughs) baseball players than I do, I think. Uh, I'm comfortable (laughs) saying that, even though I'm here talking about grading baseball players. Uh, But I still want to give the edge to Tatis in that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, one (laughs) name you didn't mention, and the one that
0: probably gives me the most pause to really investing in Cordero and, say, like a a 12-teamer. Because for me, that's kind of where the... Sure. That's where the dilemma comes in, because why not take a late round flyer on Cordero in a 14 or 15 team league if he's still there? And and my experience so far, my early drafts and auctions is that he will be. But uh, Josh Naylor, he's kind of in that same basket, you know, because mm-hmm. like you're talking about Will Myers, who the Padres clearly soured on last year, and he's been the target of trade rumors all offseason anyway. Ligaris has always profiled as a, a fourth or fifth outfielder, uh, although he's at times served as more than that for the Mets <laughs> out of necessity and you know because of the great defense too but Naylor like like Cordero he's somebody who hasn't had that much of a shot in the majors he did play in 94 games last year as a rookie but still arguably uh, developing still improving just 22 years old that that's where I think if, if the Padres are going to go in a different direction I think it might be with Josh Naylor.
1: Great points for sure. I I think that they, uh, for for the same reasons, what I said with Cordero, that they owe it to themselves to see uh, what they have in Naylor. I just want to believe that they are going to take a shot on on Cordero first. Um, I I think these are two guys who, you know, Al, when it comes down to late stage drafting, I'm going to prioritize Cordero. Like, if I made a straight up outfield rankings, Cordero would be higher than Naylor. But if someone beats me to Cordero, I'm happy taking the shot on Naylor. You know what I mean? I just feel like one of these guys is going to be given some extended run for the Padres, and I'm willing to take my shot on either of them. I guess we know where Fernando Tatis is going, though.
0: Right. Yeah, there's no mystery in that one. Uh, well, I'll just circle back to something DVR said on uh, the Monday show where, you know, he said, when you're, you're, trying to decide between a couple of different players like this that bring you different things, and they both also bring some risk and uncertainty, you just go with um, what your, your needs are roster-wise. And, yep. and, you know, fortunately, I mean, you know, the, the Padres can only probably start one of these guys uh, in in their outfield. But, you know, from a fancy perspective, if you're taking a flyer, if you want, you know, batting average or OBP, then, you know, Naylor is certainly the superior guy. But if you want that to be power mix, then, uh, you know, Cordero's the the much better flyer. So um, very, very interesting featured read for you today, not at all fantasy relevant. And uh, if you've been on Twitter or just, you know, paying attention to, to news, you might have come across this already, but in case you haven't, I think think we owe it to you to tell yes, you about this, this piece from Andrew Baggerly is and Zach Buchanan of The Athletic, Meet Mason Saunders, The Secret Rodeo Identity of Madison Bumgarner. So you know, try to draft Mason Saunders and see how that flies. <laughs> <laughs> but really, really uh, fun, cool piece there uh, by a couple of uh, great writers from the. I wonder if area. did
1: the Diamondbacks know about this before they signed him? <laughs> they had. I had this discussion <laughs> with my life with my wife
0: because uh, I said they had to know. She's yeah. like, but would they be upset? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. But yeah. I, I figure they they must have
1: known. <laughs> Oh uh, man, they had to have, and it's a great read. It's a it's a really fun one.
0: <laughs> yeah, so read it. Try to you know figure that out for yourself. Uh, but uh, on that note, we are going to finish up here for today's episode of Fantasy Baseball in Fifteen. If you're not already a subscriber to the Athletic, you can get forty percent off a subscription at theathleticcom in 15 and everything that we work on, everything that we produce, is included with a subscription. And if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate it if you took the time to do that. So for Michael Beller, I'm Al Melkier, and we will be back with you on Wednesday.